Hello there. This is Obita, the podcast where we discuss law, tech, and business and try to make sense of it all. My name is Zikora. Thank you very much for joining us. Every year, the United Nations, as part of its program to address gender-based violence suffered by women around the world, organizes a 16 Days of Activism. The 16 Days of Activism is a program that's usually from the 25th of November to the 10th of December every year. This year is no different. Events were organized around the theme, Orange the World, Fund, Respond, Prevent, Collect, speaking about the steps to be taken in circumstances of gender-based violence. On the Obita podcast today, I speak to a human rights lawyer and activist whose extensive qualifications include some work in the area of sex and gender-based violence. She was for some time the acting executive director of the Initiative for Equal Rights. The Initiative for Equal Rights is a non-governmental organization, NGO, based in Lagos, Nigeria. TS works to create a society where human rights are guaranteed in spite of sex, gender, status, or orientation. She also worked extensively as Director of Human Rights and Advocacy at TS. My guest is Omolara Orie. She joins this conversation from South Africa and she begins by explaining exactly what a director of human rights and advocacy does on a day-to-day basis. Please join our conversation. Um, I basically like oversaw the advocacy work that we did, which when it came to like women's work, LGBT work, we came up with ideas on what to do. We did like legal response. We did, um, you know, um, sensitization programs. Like it was basically like everything, uh, literally like human rights work and advocacy work. The entire work that came under that purview was in my department. This year, there's been the 16 days of activism, which happens every year now. But the theme for this year, what do you think inspired the theme particularly, especially with respect to the um, challenges that women have actually faced in this year with the pandemic and all of that? Uh, well, so I, I don't think I, I know particularly what inspired the theme for this year's uh, 16 Days of Advocacy because, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's something that is released by the UN Women's Office. They, yeah. you know, they determine the theme every year. They determine, you know, what what areas require work, what areas require attention, and I think that's how they arrive at the themes for each year. I think this year yeah. they have something called uh, uh, fund, respond, prevent, collect, or something like that. Um, yes, yes. I did not particularly follow the sixteen days this year because I've been so busy and I've been working on so many other things. However. Uh, the theme is not far-fetched from the reality that women are living right now, right? So many yeah. times yeah. when people talk about sexual gender-based violence and how it affects women, the conversation is usually very victim-blaming, very how did you get there, very what do you need to do? 
but I'm very impressed that the theme this year is looking at practicalities and, uh, and looking at methods through which we can actually begin to change things, right? Because so many yeah. things have happened about the causes and happened about the perpetrators, but it is time to begin to hold perpetrators accountable. It is time to begin mm -hmm. to address these issues head on. And you can't do that without funding. You can't do that without responding. You can't do that without creating infrastructure that allow you to prevent sexual gender-based violence. So I think that the theme is obviously relevant and you know we can definitely trace the the, the issues that have uh, occurred in 2022 to this theme, right? Because now, for example, countries like the UK, they have a functional legal system, you know, they have some sort of social engineering in place when it comes to violence and all of those things. However, during the pandemic, the, the rates of gender-based violence, of domestic abuse skyrocketed, just like every other yeah. country, you know? And so it's yeah. definitely time for us to begin to re-evaluate what our work in sexual gender-based violence areas, what it entails, and how we want to like address these issues. It's absolutely time to move away from like you know uh, conversations that do not so conversations that do not center accountability, conversations that do not center infrastructure, that do not center you know what can be done to reduce and obviously eventually eradicate sexual gender-based violence. Okay, this is basically like your full-time job dealing with human rights abuses of sexual man minorities and women generally, human rights abuses generally, yes, yeah? Yes, well, that's, that's the crux of what I do. I'm a human rights lawyer and I do a lot of work when it comes to responding to violence of any kind, but particularly yeah. toward women and persons who are belonging to sexual minorities, yeah. talking about, you know, LGBT folks, uh, transgender folks, people who are vulnerable by virtue of, you know, their sexuality and their uh, and gender identity. Yes. Okay, so since we're talking about sex and gender-based violence, a lot of times I understand that the UN um, Women Activism for the 16 Days particularly focused at women. And this is not an attempt to sidetrack the conversation, but is it just mainly faced by women, I know that it's mainly faced by women, but are we to an extent paying um, less attention to other people that may be facing sex and gender-based violence, like men and maybe other people? Well, um, so this is something that comes up quite often and my initial inclination is to like shut that down. But um, what I'm gonna do is this. So. When it comes to like the 16 days of activism, it is focused on women, right? It's focused on women because we are a historically oppressed group. We, we yeah. are still presently being oppressed. And unfortunately, we cannot see an end in sight. Does that mean that women have the monopoly of oppression? No, right? Other groups happen to be oppressed as well. Other groups have, are happen to be vulnerable by virtue of the way society is arranged, right? I always say that mm. we are going to extend the conversations around violence, around addressing urgently violence that occurred toward men. Men would have to organize for those things, right? Men yeah. would have to yeah. press for change. Men will have to mm -hmm. articulate their needs. Men will have to advocate. They would have to do the work. 
it is not incumbent upon women to 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 carry the burden of everyone in society now do we do that yes is this something that we must now allot to women and say this is your job i i think not however sexual and gender-based violence have been uh, you know described and defined re more, more recently to include the violence that happened toward LGBT persons, the violence that happened toward transgender persons, those things qualify as sexual and gender-based violence. And that's why organizations like TEARS uh, and other organizations across the country are advocating for the humanity and dignity of these groups of people. So I feel like I would like to defer from the point where we say things like, oh, do women only get oppressed? Well, women do not only get oppressed, but women have had a head start you know, I always say that the oppression of women is like a gateway situation, right? It's like yeah. if you're, when you're traveling to oppression land, oppressionville, you start, yeah. right? And yeah, yeah. Have, have women had the opportunity to organize and, you know, do a lot of work so far? Yes. Are women saying other groups should not organize? No. Are women happy to even organize on behalf of other groups? Absolutely, yes. But should we make the advocacy you know for the improvement of lives and rights of other people the job of women absolutely not i will be happy to celebrate 55 days of advocacy in support of men and their rights needs if they create that but we must focus on the fact that 16 days activism of activism that occur every year is an initiative of the un women backed by women created by women and carried on the backs of women so it is definitely a program that is targeted toward women. However, there is room for everyone. Because like I said, when it comes to like feminist activism, we, we must yeah. remain intersectional. We must treat oppression like what it is oppression. There is no room for oppression Olympics. There is no room for, you know, for, for, for determining who, who is more oppressed than the other. We want a world that is equitable. We want a world where dignity does not have to be earned. But every group that feels violated must organize in collaboration with already established you know, organization around the oppressions that they face. Yes, yes, I agree with you as well. For the oppression that women face, people a lot of times try to excuse it. They try to use, as you've pointed out, but I think that one of the bigger issues is about the empowerment of women on an individual basis. Because when I used to do work in human rights, I think what made me actually rest was that I discovered that you would arrange for women to leave, like you would have arrangements, leave your husband, divorce from your husband. And you discover that six months down the line, she's back with the man because she fundamentally killed herself financially. In a lot of instances, you understand what I mean? Mm, I hear you. You've been doing a lot of work in Nigeria. Sorry, I want to get to my question. Absolutely, Please, get to it. Absolutely. <laughs> what are the things that you think have contributed most to the violence against women in Nigeria? You know, uh, we cannot remove culture from the big issues, unfortunately. We because culture, tradition, religion, all of those uh, things that constitute some level of fundamental beliefs are the roots in which you know these grow from right yeah, so uh, yeah. I, wanted, I, want, I would comment briefly about uh about women who are unable to leave abusive situations 
And I would say that many times when we discuss um, sexual gender-based violence, especially intimate partner violence, we kind of like yeah. stop discussing the symptoms and we leave the actual problem. So it's just like having malaria, right? Uh, if you take paracetamol, yeah. you probably will stop having a, uh, getting a headache. You probably will begin to feel a little bit better, but you are not going to be cured of the fundamental issue. Now, the patriarchy is a fundamental part of this. But it has now developed into many, many, many things. I always say, look, for example, I, I've been doing some studies on constitutional equality recently. And I learned that in the case of Nigeria, even though we had our own version of the patriarchy, our own version of misogyny, it was not solidified and, you know, metamorphosed into this monster that it is until colonization, right? So colonizers yeah. from England came with their Victorian ideas of what sexuality should be, of what gender should be, of what gender roles should be. And unfortunately, because men were privileged to be the ones who are at the top of the totem pole, it then became a thing that, you know, it became engendered, it became, it became like, you know, ingrained into people, and then we can't tear away from it. So we cannot undo culture, and in this sense, I mean culture, you know, a, a, mix of, a mixture of pre-colonial Nigerian cultures and behaviors and the influence of colonization on the way we move around, on the way we live in society. Now, women are abused because men can abuse them and get away with it. That's literally why it continues to happen. If you are in a place yeah. where women are dehumanized and their dignity is incumbent on purity, on this, on that, on a list of things, Obviously, you cannot exclude such a group from violence. The moment dignity does not accrue yeah. to you naturally, like every human being, there is room for oppression. There is room for violence. Yeah. There is room for all sorts of things, right? So, first things first. Um, I, I recently, I, I found out, you know, also, I think I was on Twitter, I was reading through and I saw that people were talking about how women only were able to get account, uh, personal bank accounts in 1975, blah, blah, blah. You know, so all of these things form a part of it. There is the financial aspect of it, right? Women just generally are poorer than men because we don't have access to as much opportunities. Women don't have access. Yeah. Access becomes privileged. Privilege becomes whatever you want it to become. The moment you don't have access, yeah. you cannot compete, right? So women yeah. don't have money. Women are living in a policed world, right? Where a certain yeah. group of behavior, a certain system of belief entitles you to humanity, right? Okay. So if a woman is married and she has finally succeeded in attaching herself, you know, to masculinity as a method of protection, what do yes. you think that she would want to detach herself from that protection that she has, even if that protection is killing her? Many times, yes. I think it's easier to stay with an abusive partner, uh, partner than to expose themselves to the ridicule of hundreds of thousands of people, many of whom they do not even know. Okay, yeah. yeah. So women are between the, uh, you know, the, the a rock and a hard place almost all the time. You are you are you are nurtured. You are you are socialized to want certain things. You're socialized to behave in a certain way, and all of a sudden, within that socialization, there is harm. Now yes. you have to decide: Do I 
do I accept this harm as part of my reality, which many women have accepted? To many people, they're not being abused. It is just marriage. On the other hand, if you then begin to think about yourself as a person, an individual, and you're like, oh, oh well, I don't want to be harmed, then that means you have yeah. dismantled your socialization. Do you know how difficult it is to do that? <laughs> so it's so it's it's a situation in which you have to dismantle everything that you have known since the day you were two years old in order to yeah. access some level of freedom, some level of dignity. But we also yeah. know that the work of unlearning is so difficult, especially in an environment where there is no wiguru, where every yeah. action is judged and prejudged, where every reaction is scrutinized and you know that you will not win. So yeah. there are so many things holding women back. And those things are the things that I would like us to break, you know, to break down. Like I always say, you know, the, you cannot reduce the role of accountability. You cannot modify yeah, behavior yeah. without accountability. These men, these yeah. people who abuse other people, because not only men abuse other people. However, in these circumstances, men abuse women, men abuse queers, men abuse, you know, trans folks. Men are like kind of like the central, they're like the, you know, the primary perpetrators in this space, right? Now, these yeah. ones have been told that their thoughts are superior, that their minds are superior, in, even though we all know that in reality, it's not usually the case. However, yeah. however, they have the power and privilege that is unearned, that is un un unwarranted in many cases. Of course, such will be misused. The only way to, 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 to limit that power, to limit that uh, privilege, is through accountability. When that is yeah. missing, nothing can be done. So let's say, for example, the woman who reported her husband to, the, to social media, unfortunately, I caught on to that really late because I've not really been present on social media lately. And this woman speaks yeah. out about her abusive husband and a governor of a state, quote and unquote, reconciled them. Yeah. That is state-sanctioned violence toward women. That yes. telling women that they have no option. This is the structure. This is the system. And you must abide by it, even though you are a medical doctor and your husband tries to kill you more than once. So okay. if a medical doctor okay, but... cannot escape, what makes you think that women in the villages women who don't have access to education, women who do not even know that this is an anomaly. How do we reach them? It's very complicated, but I believe that behavioral modification is required and accountability can do that. Yes, yes. I understand accountability and I understand where you're coming from. I wanted to ask, um, on a legal basis, because I know we've talked about the failure of the judiciary on a lot of things. What are the changes that you think we need to make on a legal basis, on a legislative level, a policy level? Because it's everywhere. Yeah. But what are the biggest pointers that, in your experience, that you know that if we change this, if we change that, is going to really reduce the extent of problems that we have, especially with sex and gender-based okay, violence so generally so, again you know this uh, this question is so interesting because you are you just basically touched the crux of my research as a feminist legal theorist right so what i my, my research yes. basically at the moment is looking at 
what can be done as a fundamental thing to change the way gender is perceived in society, to change the way gender relations are carried out. And I know that this sounds super like, you know, out there, but a constitutional reform <laughs> is the solution. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay, keep going. So basically, the Nigerian constitution has a lot of loopholes and a lot of omissions, right? And this is not just in the yeah. document itself. It is in the creation of this document, right? Now, the National Constitution yeah. was created by an all-male um, military council, right? No impute yes. of any woman. The same with the 1979 Constitution. In fact, as of 1979, was the first time that all Nigerian women could vote in an election. Wow. Yes. Wow. The 1979 constitution was what gave all women. Now, the, 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 the constitution before the 1979 constitution gave women in the South the right to vote. But that constitution was made, obviously, by the colonizers. And because the South was richer than the North, they felt like they could, you know, they, they could give some room, some leeway in the South. For example, in Nigeria, women were not constitutionally excluded or constitutionally disempowered until... The, 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 the Clifford Constitution of 1950, what I can't remember at the moment, right? The Clifford Constitution was the first codification of women's exclusion in the country. It says that only men of a particular status can vote. That obviously excludes women completely and poor men, right? Now, that finally changes in 1979, but if women are not even recognized by a system, they cannot be a party to the creation of that system. You get what I'm saying? So, we have a constitution that has no input of women. I have more stories to tell in this area. I can, I'm working on a, on, a, on a paper that will be published earlier next year. And, um, you know, we would all read that when it gets published. But right now, if you want a copy of my, uh, my uh, LLM dissertation, I can send you a copy. You will see the historical mapping that I have done in that document and how the exclusion of women became a systemic issue in Nigeria, right? Now, if the constitution does not mention women, does not recognize women as citizens, what can any policy do? If the fundamental document that should create the direction of a country does not recognize a group of people, I verily believe that whatever is happening, whatever policy is made, whatever gender, what what is made, is just putting lipstick on a dead body. Cosmetic and useless. So, Let's talk quickly about, for example, the content of the Constitution. When it comes to citizenship, for example, right? Section 24, um, section 24 uh, to 27, I think, or 29 of the Constitution. Citizenship is granted to all Nigerians, but the language is exclusionary. The language is exclusively male, right? And the only time, section 26 of the Constitution, that, and that's the only time that women were mentioned in the Constitution, right? Section 26 yes. says that if you are trying to denounce your, your, your citizenship, as a man, you have to be 18 years of age. As a woman, you have to be married. Wow. So if the Constitution effectively discriminates against you and ties you to the idea of guardianship, what okay. agency can the women in that country have? What is wow. possible? Okay. Okay. So you get what I'm saying, right? So it is, it is, yeah. it is, when it comes to Nigeria, they need to 
be a fundamental overhaul. And that is pointing directly at the Constitution. Constitutional equality is the solution to gender inequality and, gen and, and poor gender relations in Nigeria, in any country. Now, do, does the Constitution solve all the problems forever and ever? No, it's not a one-time solution. Because without constitutionalism, a constitution is useless. Yes. Without, without implementation, without working the process, it's useless. For example, I used, I, I, I studied the case in Tunisia and South Africa as, some, as a part of my uh, research recently. And, you know, um, Tunisian women were obviously excluded from, from, public, uh, from, from public life and all of that for the longest time. But when the yeah. constitution changed that, right now in the world, Tunisia has about 40% participation of women in politics. Okay. When okay. women have a seat at the table, this kind of conversation can begin to happen. Look, look at the agenda equality, agenda, uh, agenda opportunities and equality bill, right? That has been yes. presented to the Senate. Now, twice yeah. it's been presented to the Senate. The first Senate had three women in sitting. The second Senate had six women in sitting. The Senate operates by voting. If you don't have presence, you don't have power. Yes. So yes. If, yes. We, if we don't have presence in the Constitution, create a foundation for the inclusion of women in the fundamental creation of this country. We have to yes. If that is not there, and women are unable to secure you know, credible seats in public office, in the Senate, in the House of Representatives, in the governorships and all of those things, without presence, there is no power. So the beginning of our problem is the Constitution, and the possible end of our problem is the Constitution. So when you think about constitutional amendments in Nigeria, we must begin to extend our minds beyond tribal issues, beyond exclusive and, and, and concurrent lists. We must begin to think of gender equality as a fundamental constitutional problem. You know, when these conversations are had, especially with sex and gender-based violence and feminism, it's, it's usually framed as men against women. Especially with sex and gender-based violence, the language of the conversation is usually framed as women suffer gender-based violence or men, women always suffer gender-based violence and men always perpetrate it. While this is prevalently the truth, are there ways that men can be victims to the language of these conversations are there ways that women can also be perpetrators women can perpetrate violence on a on an individual level yes. it will never become a systemic issue the violence that women are facing is not an is not an individual perpetration of violence see the individual uh you know effect of violence on women is not is only a a, a part of the general framework Right? If you are yes. systemically, now, for example, you know, people want to talk about violence against men, perpetrated by women, but women do not even begin to have the social capital, the social power and privilege to perpetrate violence against men on a systemic level. So if a man gets really? in a fight with a woman and he gets beaten, or a woman is oppressing some man or whatever, those are issues that are occurring on an individual and frankly minuscule level, right? Now, Yes. Those issues can be addressed using, for example, the law courts. But the violence yes. that women are going through in Nigeria requires a complete overhaul of society. Women yes. do not have the privilege to be able to attack men in the way that men, even a baby, can attack a woman. Because that baby, that child or whatever, 
look at countries like Saudi Arabia, for example, right? I know that they yeah. work to to remove the guardianship system, and you know, obviously, we are we all have opinions about them. But in Saudi Arabia, your ten-year-old son is your guardian, even if you are fifty-five years old as a woman. Wow. So tell me, what kind of violence can a woman perpetrate toward a man that will have the effect of violence perpetrated by a man toward a woman? If your ten-year-old son tells the um, the Islamic police that, look, my mother went out without me, without guardian, without a guardian, she will be flogged. So when we cannot compare the violence perpetrated toward women by men and society, because many men are, and I really hate that I'm saying this, but the point is that many men don't even intend to wield their privileges. But those privileges are cruel to them by virtue of masculinity. And that silences women in itself. Okay. So the, idea, okay. So the comparison, I, I, I always say that there is no basis for comparison between violence against men perpetrated by women and violence against women perpetrated by men and the patriarchal society that keeps power and privilege within the purview of a few. There is no basis for comparison. If anybody has an individual problem with a woman abusing them, report that woman to the police. Because the violence that women yeah. are facing, multi-layered, multi-dimensional, systemic, ingrained. It's all right. Thank you very, very, very much for doing this um i've learned a lot and i believe that our guests will learn a lot um and thank you for taking time out of your time i really understand that you're very busy and you don't know how much i appreciate this i'm very happy that i got to do this and i thank you for actually bringing this conversation to the fore and yeah i i truly believe that we must begin to spread the word about the role of the constitution in equality of women if you look around the, when you have some time uh, and even also for your listeners if you guys have some time, take a look at every country that has overhauled its fundamental document. It is easier to advocate for women. It is easier to make laws. It is easier to have women in positions of power. The moment, as, as long as women are fundamentally excluded from the Nigerian constitution, we cannot make so much progress. All we will have will be handouts. And if somebody is in a position to hand out things to you, they are also in a position to take those things back. Okay, it's all right. Thank all you right. very Thank much. You. So have, have a, a lovely day. day as well. Goodbye.